Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. What's going on, y'all? It's JD Piquel. Welcome into the hard count. This is, in fact, the People Show. So, every single thing that you know and that you love about college football, the greatest game ever invented, you can find it right here on this channel, on this program, every single day. We are live on Tuesdays, we are live on Thursdays. Sunday, we get in here and we give you just a ton of content starting in the morning, going on throughout the day. This is the place you want to be for every single thing that you love about college football. Nick Brake, he's going to join the program here at the end of the operation, but he is, in fact, the people's champ. He's the one who does the heavy lifting and makes this whole operation go. Now, like I said, you can help drive this show by subscribing to the channel. We have a huge, huge week nine slate ahead, and we like to sort of label these Saturdays. Every single weekend kind of tell you, okay, this is a gut check Saturday. This is separation Saturday. The term, the title rather we put to this upcoming Saturday is take shape Saturday. Because think about it. We're going into the fourth quarter of the season. We're about to find out who a lot of these teams are. And some of the lead dogs have separated from the pack. But if you look across all these power five conferences, you can't say for sure. Yeah, it's going to be this team winning that conference. I mean, we have like a three-dog battle across most of these conferences. I mean, talk about the SEC, you got Tennessee, Alabama, you got Georgia. Looking at the Pac-12, USC, Utah, Oregon, I mean, UCLA could still be in that deal. Talk about the ACC, maybe that's a different conversation, but you hear where I'm coming from with this. This is the week where we see a lot of these programs sort of show their cards and show you exactly who they are. We are on podcast. Gosh dang it. Apple and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find them. Or you can find the hard count rather 
in your podcast feed. Nick, I always forget to talk about the podcast, so I'm glad we got to get that in at the beginning of the show. That uh, That's crucial. Subscribe. Give us a five-star review. We do a lot of question and answer on this program. It's, like I said, the people show, so interaction is paramount. We want you to be able to be involved, so leave a question there as well, and we might be able to get to you uh, in that fashion as well, contributing to the show. Also, follow me on social channels. I'm very much available there at Twitter and Instagram, at Jody Bacall. We do kind of a State of the Union question and answer on there. We do the, the video question and the answer. Anyways, a lot of fun. Would love to have you join the ride there. Like I said, great show lined up. Going to talk about Florida and Georgia or Georgia and Florida, however you want to phrase it. The game's being played in Jacksonville, one of the best rivalries in all of college football. Going to give you our preview, give you our prediction. If Florida can win that game, it's a very big if. That would reset the entire way you think about that program for Georgia. Just continue to march on towards that potential repeat. Very big game because you know who they welcome the following week. Tennessee Volunteers. Going to break that game down. Ohio State heading to Happy Valley. It's not going to be a wideout game. You know the wideout is where good teams go and take L's. It's like at noon. It's a noon game in Happy Valley. So still will be a road test for Ohio State but should learn a lot about that program like we talked about. Teams starting to take shape this upcoming Saturday. Got a battle for, excuse me, got a battle for Paul Bunyan, the trophy that is. Michigan, Michigan State. Michigan welcomes in Michigan State. That'll be a whole lot of fun. Excited to watch that game. I think we learn more about that program because Michigan State, they're going to throw their absolute best punch at the Wolverines. This is their Super Bowl. Going to give you our pick in that one and give you the implications of that one as well. At the end of this show, the best thing we do on this channel, on this program, you join the party. The question and answer, the live chat is already popping. We love it. Seeing a lot of regulars in there. My guy Fergie Ferg is already in there. Uh, hopefully we see Drago in there at some point in time, Nick. But we got a lot of people jumping in the chat right now. Get in there right now and drop your question because Nick is the keeper of the queue. And the sooner you get those questions in, the better we can answer them. Okay? So that's going to be how we do that. Again, ending the show with that. But to start this whole thing off, let's talk about Kentucky going to Tennessee. Tennessee, a 12-and-a-half point favorite. This game is a night game, 7 Eastern, being played in Neyland Stadium. The folks in Knoxville, quite frankly, for home games, have been absolutely spoiled, and we love it. For Tennessee, they're a confident bunch. They feel very much like They've done a lot of positive things so far, and they have, but at the same time, the job's not finished. Like, you know that Kobe Bryant press conference where he sits down there, I think it's the NBA Finals, and they ask him, are you happy so far with what you've done to this point in the season? He says, what's there to be happy about? Job's not finished. I think that's kind of the feel right now in Knoxville. Because if any of you know what the, the kind of attitude Josh Heupel has and kind of the feel that he projects onto this program it's confident it's level-headed it's grounded they just be Alabama for goodness sakes I think there's more in the tank I think they're still hungry and have some good things left ahead of them job's not finished for the Vols for Kentucky they feel cautiously optimistic and like we talked about I mean 12 and a half point dogs going on the road to Neyland but there's very much a feel for that program of they are poised to take a big swing they have a first-round NFL quarterback. They have a program that's been building towards a game like this for a while. So for them, it's the feeling of, if not now, then when for Kentucky? Because they're the neighbor across the street, Tennessee is, that just got that nice car. They got the promotion. And you're sitting across the street saying, well, we live in the same neighborhood. I mean, we, we have kind of the same means, if you will. Why can't we have what you have? So that's the feeling for Kentucky. It's going to be a dogfight. Excited to break this one down. 
We say it every single week. A lot of you are new to this program. So one, thank you, subscribe. Two, the way that we break these games down is based on hinge points. A hinge point for us is whichever way that point swings, it probably favors the team that it swings towards. You feel me? So a hinge point for us, what's the tempo of this game? Like, what is the pace we're playing at here? Is it a NASCAR race or is it like a mud run? Because if it's a NASCAR race, that favors Tennessee. It has been well documented. If you've watched any sort of Tennessee football broadcast, you know every single time the play-by-play guy or the color analyst guy will go in there and say, Tennessee goes NASCAR fast. They run a lot of plays. That's going to be the same thing in this game. And for Tennessee, if they can draw first blood, if they can get up 10, get up 14, it's going to be tough for Kentucky to, to fight back in that one because this Kentucky team's as good as they are offensively in terms of weapons they have with guys at the skill position and the quarterback and the running back. We'll get to that in a second. They're not necessarily built to play catch up, scoring 25 points a game. So there's something left to be desired there. You can't afford to get down if you're Kentucky. And for Tennessee, you want to start lapping folks if you can do that early, scoring points, that is. So that's the kind of game they want to play. Now, Kentucky, on the other side, they want to play this game in the mud. And just think back to the the days of your youth where it rains outside. And what does that mean? Sneakers on, play clothes on, and you're playing football with the boys in the front yard. And you're playing in the mud, you're slipping and sliding, and nobody can really get any traction. Nobody can really do exactly what they want to do from a movement perspective. That's the kind of game Tennessee would like to play. Slow. Take the ball out of Hen Hooker's hands, extend drives, let Chris Rodriguez eat. He's averaging right around five and a half yards of carry. He's the X factor for them in this game. Play offense. All right, I'll rephrase that. Play defense by playing offense. Because you don't want Hen and Hooker and company out there having the chance to score 40 some odd points. You want to stretch this thing into the fourth quarter. And if it gets to the fourth quarter, things could get interesting. So on top of all of that, if we're going to use the metaphor of like a fight, right? How many punches does Tennessee land in round one? Kind of riffing on that point of NASCAR versus mud. And for Kentucky, how many punches can you afford to eat? Because I think for Kentucky to have a chance in this game, they're going to have to take at least one punch to the jaw, be able to collect themselves and throw another punch back. Because Tennessee, quite frankly, they've thrown some really early knockouts. I mean, look at the LSU game. Now, not to say they haven't had their own games they've had to play fourth quarters. They have. But for them, they are very much accustomed to, like we talked about, scoring in that 40-ish points a game. I mean, they're number two in the country, right around 48 points a game. So they score a lot. What happens for Kentucky, though, if they're able to eat that punch and then push to the fourth quarter and Tennessee starts to get impatient? What happens then? Because for Kentucky, it's not going to be the same sort of approach that you saw Alabama take. Alabama went out there in Neyland Stadium and just said, we're going to play matchup ball. We feel good about our players. We recruit just about as well as anybody in the country. We're going to match up. We like our guys. Your move, Hennon Hooker. And five touchdowns later for Jalen Hyatt, they were bringing down the goalpost in Neyland Stadium. So if anybody knows where that is in the river, we would love to know just so we could talk about it on the show. But that's the sort of ending to that story. Kentucky saw that. Kentucky's not going to do that. They're going to be content to let Tennessee just sort of dink and dunk, take six yards here, take seven yards there. Sure, have the crossing route, but you're not going to be able to get those big explosive plays is the thought for Tennessee. And so for Kentucky, that has to be the way that you live. 
you have to be able to play back when it comes to this whole operation for Tennessee. As a whole, if they're hitting those explosive plays, it's not going to be a good setup. That's just the fact of the matter. The explosive plays for Tennessee, that's not the way you want to live if you're Kentucky. So here's the final thing I'm looking at. Will Levis has a myriad of weapons. And the Tennessee secondary is dead last in the country in terms of yards allowed per game through the year. 332. So you got a first-round quarterback. You got Dan Key, dog. Barry and Brown, young, also a dog. Tavian Robinson, dog. You got three dogs. You got to let those dudes get off the leash. Because for Tennessee, that is the one area that maybe, just maybe, you can take advantage of and get some points. Because if you're not able to capitalize on that, it's going to be a long day for you. Because a lot of these edges, in my mind at least, very much favor the Tennessee Vols. So here's the prediction for this thing. I think we get to see Tennessee play a different game. We've been accustomed to seeing them score 45-plus points just about every game. That's what they do. They score in spades. That's how they get down. I don't think we see that same kind of deal from them this week. I think we see them kind of take what the defense gives them. I think we see them be patient. And at the end of the day, I think the patience pays. I think Will Levis will turn the ball over at the end of the game, and that'll do it. But as a whole, I think Tennessee gets a good test, gets that resistance muscle even stronger, and the Vols win this one 38-24 in Neyland Stadium. So think about what that means. It means the stakes keep going up for the Vols, and that trip to Athens next weekend against Georgia is going to be uh, it's going to be pandemonium. Let's just say that. So this just only increases the excitement around that program, the juice around that program. But again, we like Tennessee to win this game 38 to 24. The Vols get it done. Also, the Heisman conversation around Hennon Hooker will be continuing to grow in terms of buzz and traction. Because the Alabama game put him very firmly in that top two, top three conversation. Golly, I mean, I don't even want to talk about what happens if they win that game and then beat Georgia. Because a lot of places that exist in Tennessee would be burned to the ground in celebration. We'll move on from that. If you haven't yet subscribed to this channel, go ahead and do so right now. We have a fair number of you watching right now, so thank you. Uh, go ahead and subscribe. It helps us. It helps you. It doesn't cost you anything. All right? Roll party roll. Also, if you haven't yet asked a question, Nick Brake is keeping the cue. Jump in there, ask a question. We're going to get to it at the end of the show. All right? Let's keep this thing rolling. Georgia and Florida play this upcoming Saturday in one of the best rivalries in all of college football. It's a 3.30 Eastern kick. Georgia's favored by 22.5 points. Now, I said Georgia-Florida, not Florida-Georgia, because Georgia, as of right now, is the top dog. No pun intended. They're the top dog. They are the big boys, and they feel like it. Because a lot of us have watched Georgia the last few weeks, and we have a couple of, I don't want to say blemishes, but points where we've watched them and just kind of said, huh, that's the defending national champion? Okay. Shouldn't they you know, look a little bit more impressive against Kent State? Shouldn't they look a little bit more impressive against Missouri? I mean, I think you're reaching, to be honest with you. I understand where that's coming from, but I think that's a small reach. I'll tell you this. Internally, they hear all that talk. There's no flinch. I mean, they are not worried in the slightest about what anybody with a microphone has to say about the dogs. Nonetheless, they know who they are. The identity is very strong. The, the confidence is there. Kirby Smart has got this program ready to play. And I'll also say this. This is a logo this week that has all of their attention. 
Like if you wanted to say maybe experience on the defensive side was still getting there and Missouri didn't have their attention, Kent State definitely is a program you would understand if they don't have their attention. Now knock on the flashes, Florida has their attention. All right, so you're going to get the very best version of Georgia this coming week. Stetson Bennett also said something interesting in his press conference this week, just said basically in this game, you throw out the records. And this is one of those specials, and we've had a couple of them we've broken down on this program. One of those specials where you get to pack light to the game, right? We always say it. You don't need logic and stay at home. Common sense, leave it. Reason, never heard of her. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the kind of game that this could end up being. For Florida, we said it at the beginning of this show, if they win this game, how differently are you talking about Florida going forward? How differently are you talking about Billy Napier, about AR? There's so many conversations that I think are trending down right now that will flip immediately if they win a game like this. Now, again, Billy Napier, only in year one. Dude is one of the best recruiters in the game, in my opinion. They're going to be fine, but a win like this would be a torch to carry forward for that program. The hinges for us in this game. Can Georgia's offense keep the Florida defense guessing a little bit? Can they play Riddler? Because whenever Georgia has struggled, especially against Missouri, what we saw happen was some obvious passing situations where Missouri was quite frankly just able to get after the quarterback and broke down some of those protections. Florida, for all their faults, has some dudes on the edges, okay? I know the defense has statistically had some things that are lacking, but they have some Sunday players on the outside that will get after you quick, fast, in a hurry. And so I think the way to remedy that is potentially throwing the ball on first down. We think about Georgia, we think tough, we think gritty, we think, you know, pounding the rock, carrying the ball all the time, every time. That's not the case. That's not the way that this Georgia team has played this year. They have been winging it. Stetson Bennett's been averaging right around 30 attempts a game. And so I think being able to throw the ball on first down, one, the defense is much more mellow. They're not going to be a program that can necessarily just pin their ears back and go on first down. Now you get to third and 10, it's a different conversation. But being able to get positive yards on first down, throwing the ball, that's going to be a much more clean pocket. And then you can be more multiple. Then you can have more prongs to what you want to do offensively. For Florida, if they can get after the quarterback, if they can force some obvious passing downs like we talked about, they don't have to guess, well, then they can disrupt this whole Georgia passing attack. Then they can sort of dictate the way they want things to go for their drives. And that's maybe asking a lot, but with what they have been statistically inept at on third down, one of the worst in the country in terms of conversion percentage, they're going to need to find a way to force some longer third and, you know, the sticks. Like they need third and 15. They need third and 17. A sack would do a lot for them in being able to get that done. All right. So second down, first down, going to be crucial to the game flow here. Second question we have for this game. It's, an, it's I mean, you can't talk about Florida without mentioning Anthony Richardson. But here's the big question. We ask it every week, especially in big games. Which version of AR shows up? Because if you get Utah, Anthony Richardson, this thing could get interesting. I mean, just remember the way he introduced himself to the entire country on that night. Took the game by the horns and said, nope, I think tonight's my night. I got the S on my chest. Superman wears AR pajamas. I'm him tonight. If you get that kind of AR, like we talked about, things in the fourth quarter could be close. You're fighting for your life, especially if Georgia starts slow like they have previously. 
Now flip that on its head. If you get bad AR, which we saw against Missouri, I don't want to say we saw it against LSU, but there were times where he had less than desirable performances in that game, less than desirable plays, rather. Then this thing gets out of hand. Because for as slow as Georgia starts, you can't spot them 14 points. You just can't. They're too talented. They're too well coached. They have too many weapons. And this thing gets ugly. So if you get bad AR, th there's no shot, right? There's, there's no shot. Now, I think one way that you could try to help yourself staying in this game, being able to run the football for Florida has been a sticking point for that team. I mean, they got two backs, Trevor Etienne, Montrell Johnson, both right around six and seven yards of carry. That's good for some of the best in the country. We know Florida's depth isn't phenomenal, especially on the defensive side, rather. I mean, the, the defensive depth, they need a chance to get their wind. For all the weapons Georgia has, I think you want them to watch this game. I think you say, hey, Stetson Bennett, get a Gatorade. Brock Bowers, get a towel. Y'all chill out on the bench. We're going to have a 10-play drive right now. Okay? So you guys can just hang out. Also, a 12-play drive the next time. Five minutes off the clock. Seven minutes off the clock. Stuff like that where you can just basically make this Georgia team watch, shorten the game, lower scoring. That would favor Florida. That's way easier said than done. But I'm telling you, if there's a path for Florida to do it, you got to look really closely at that whole operation for them. So here's the, the whole thing that I'm looking at as the potential backbreaker in this game. This Georgia offense is legit. It just, I mean, it is. They're scoring over 40 points a game, and they have so much firepower. And it feels like they are better than they were a year ago, more experienced, have more guys that have come into their own. Stetson Bennett looks like he's taking a step forward, which is encouraging to see for Georgia fans. And what that does is that just limits the margin for error so much for this Florida team. And they are very much an unfinished product as a program under Billy Napier. But this year, they haven't been the cleanest operation in the world. They haven't been turnover free, to say the least. And so if you want to play a, even just a little bit sloppy, even just a few percentage points down from perfect, that's going to hurt you because they have Brock Bowers, because they have an efficient Stetson Bennett because they have some new guys on defense that, quite frankly, are playing really well. I think this is a game where they have the undivided attention of Georgia, and I think Georgia handles business in Jacksonville. Final score for us is 41-24, dogs roll. Excited to watch this game, but that's how we see this whole thing breaking down in the Georgia-Florida matchup. We're going to keep calling it Georgia-Florida until Florida gets back on top of that rivalry. Then we start calling it Florida-Georgia, all right? If you haven't yet, subscribe to the channel. Would love to have you a part of this whole operation. Whole lot of fun for us. Whole lot of fun for you, okay? So thank you in advance for hitting subscribe. We appreciate you. Let's talk about Ohio State and Penn State. A big-time matchup in the Big Ten. Ohio State, they're confident, and they're on a mission. Just plain and simple. They are on a mission to get back what they feel like is theirs. The crown is not in Columbus right now. It's over there in Ann Arbor. That's where the Big Ten championship crown is laying. And so Ohio State got their shoulders back, and they are on, if they're saying it or not, they're on a revenge tour. In this game against Penn State, the bar has been set by Michigan already. We saw what Michigan did to Penn State. And so Ohio State is saying, all right, that's what you did. Let's go one-up it. That's the feeling around this program. They're very confident now, that they can't look past this program because it's in Happy Valley, but that's sort of the feel around the Buckeyes going into this game. For Penn State, there's some quiet confidence, especially from the fan base around this program. 
because they feel like, at least defensively, this is the operation that they are built to defend. Manny Diaz come over there from the D.C., done a really nice job, quite frankly, and they feel like, okay, we are building towards a game like this to where maybe it all fits together, and we have our, our signature win, if you will. Got some confidence boosted last week against Minnesota. Offense did some really nice things, but this is Ohio State. You better bring your hard hat and lunch pail because you got to go to work for four quarters. Should be a whole lot of fun. Should learn a lot about both programs. There's going to be some ballers on the field, though, on Saturday. Like, there are some, some units outside there. I mean, Kalen King, Joey Porter Jr. are two NFL corners. And Ohio State just has a myriad of NFL wide receivers. Jackson Smith and Jigba, as of the time of this show being on air, no real insight as to what his status is going to be in this game. He played last week. Looks like he came up a little bit gingerly on the final play of his snap count. But still, Julian Fleming, Emeka Egbuka, we could keep going down the list here. They got guys. So you will see NFL wide receivers versus NFL corners. That is a huge hinge point in this game. Because if Ohio State can win there and win consistently, it's going to be a lot of points scored. Ohio State is leading the country right now in terms of points scored per game. And Penn State for as flashy as they've been at times offensively, you put pressure on Sean Clifford to be good Sean Clifford. I mean, you, you really do. That's just kind of the fact of the matter because for Penn State, that's what they need. They need Sean Clifford to show up and be able to keep pace with Ohio State if those receivers get in the end zone consistently. But again, it's an NFL kind of matchup on the outside. So we're going to learn a whole lot about both those units with, quite frankly, I think the best of the best of both of those teams going head up. Now for Penn State, let's flip that on its head. Let's say they do have the, the juice defensively, right? Let's just say they find a way to stop the pass on that day. Let's flip it. They don't stop the pass. They minimize the pass. They kind of neutralize the pass. If they're able to do that, it allows Penn State to focus more on stopping the run because Joey Porter Jr., he's out on the island. He's chilling. Kalen King, he's out on the island. He's chilling. You got him. It's a, it's, a, it's a big ask. It's a lot to ask from your defensive backs, but I think that's what you need to do. Because if you have to commit more to the run game, you might have issues over the top. But for Penn State, if they're able to stop the run and take care of that on the back end and trust their guys, they have a chance to stay in it. They have a chance to sort of force a recalibration mode from Ohio State. And we saw that last week from the Buckeyes. I think it was good for them. I think it helps them in this game. But ultimately, for Ohio State, if they have to recalibrate, you allow Penn State to sort of get their bearings, stay in this game, and things could get interesting. So keep an eye on that. We already mentioned it. Is Sean Clifford in the building? The good Sean Clifford, rather. Is he in the building, and is he ready to bring his A game to the table? Because they're going to have to keep pace like we already talked about. I think to put it even more specifically, Penn State may need to throw to be able to run. Now, what do I mean by that? Penn State has weapons. I mean, Parker Washington, Brenton Strange, Mitchell Tinsley. We could go down the list here. They got some guys. They got to eat. That has to be the strength of their program, especially early. Because the worry is for Penn State, if you want to take time to establish the run and sort of just hand it off to Singleton, hand it off to Allen, if that works early, unbelievable. Then you got some gas to work with. But if not, if that stalls out two drives, dare I say three drives, well, guess what? You look up at the scoreboard and say, oh boy, 17-0, Ohio State. And now we got to play catch-up. This team's not built to do that. They got to find a way to draw first blood and doing it through the air 
would be really encouraging and set up best for Penn State going forward. Because Ohio State, they're only allowing 2.9 yards of carry. It's one of the best in the country. I think it's top three right now in the country in terms of run defense. You don't really want to bet on that. Now, if you can throw to set up the run, now we're talking, right? Now we're talking. But I think we just mentioned what that would mean for Ohio State. If they can stop that and get up, I mean, things could get ugly a quick, fast, in a hurry. I think there's no way around it. We talked about it with Georgia earlier, but the backbreaker for Ohio State in this game, for me, is, is that they want the Michigan special. Like, th there is motivation outside of this game when it comes to what Michigan did against Penn State. Because Ohio State saw that and saw them run for 400-plus yards and said, okay, that was nice. Let's see what we got. And I promise you, the way that Michigan made a statement in that game with running the football and playing tough and putting up points, Ohio State's going to take the exact same approach. Travion Henderson, one of the best backs in the country, I think he pops off big time in this game. C.J. Stroud, I think he gets his three touchdowns that he typically will get on any given afternoon. I think the wide receivers still eat. But the, the trenches for Ohio State, I think this is kind of their, their physical statement game. Talk about take shape Saturday. I think Ohio State puts some really good things on their resume with their big boys and with their running backs and that front seven. I think it's just all-out clinic. So with that being said, I think Ohio State wins this game 44-27, to beating Penn State in Happy Valley. And that collision course just continues to trend more and more towards the Ohio State-Michigan game at the end of the year. But you got to win them all first. I think Ohio State gets it done in Happy Valley this coming Saturday. But that'll be a big one. That will be a big one. Here's another way to look at that game. We already previewed it, but here's another way to look at that game if you want a little bit more to chew on. How, how much extra would you need from Penn State if Ohio State just sort of plays well? Not even plays well, plays standard. Like Ohio State plays the mean of what they're capable of, the average. I think you need like, probably 30, 40% extra from Penn State to win that game. I'm not saying it won't happen. Not saying it can't happen. But we think Ohio State wins that game. All right, if you haven't yet, jump in the chat. Hit us up with the question. We want to hear from you. The best thing we do in this whole operation is hear from y'all, the People's College Football Show. So jump in there, give us a question. We got one more preview to get to, and then we're going to go to the, to the chat here in a minute, all right? Love it. Roll, party, roll. We got the battle for Paul Bunyan, Michigan, and Michigan State set to tee it up in Ann Arbor. Both these programs coming off a bye week. Michigan's favored by 22 and a half, 730 Eastern kick. This one could be a little bit intriguing in terms of the whole take shape Saturday kind of storyline. I think we learn a lot about both programs, but I'm really looking at Michigan because we've talked about them a lot being a college football playoff contender yet again with the new quarterback, all the things that are new. I think there's still a fair amount of questions we have, not a negative way, but just of, hey, how much more do you have in the tank? How, how much more can you do if you're Michigan? So, uh, you know, it was a whole other conversation for another time, but just something to keep an eye on in this game. Michigan wants this one because think back to last year and they were up 16. They had this game won. They, they, I mean, they were ready to go home with a W and feel good. One thing led to another. Kenneth Walker had a day. Michigan State won that football game. And Michigan remembers that one. 
They, I mean, they remember that one very, very clearly. Players talk about the bus ride back just being horrific. And so that has stuck with them and will carry over into this game. And you can expect a motivated Michigan team. Obviously, it's a rivalry game. But because of what happened last year, they're out for it this year. I'll leave it at that. Michigan State, the year hasn't gone how they expected, right? Mel Tucker, huge contract. Look to this year, they're three and four. It's not the kind of year you drew up if you're a Michigan State fan. So with that being said, this has a chance to be their Super Bowl. Like you talk about stuff to play for when you're at three and four, your rival, you go into their house and you have a chance to make some noise, rattle their cage. Think about this. If Michigan State, if they win this game and they're the reason that Michigan gets left out of the college football playoff, I mean, it, it could not get any sweeter for the folks in East Lansing. So if you need storylines, there is no shortage of storylines to chew on in a 22.5-point favorite game for Michigan versus Michigan State. Hinge points for us. Can Michigan hold momentum? On top of that, can Michigan keep from having to share momentum? Because a scenario you, you, you'd want to avoid, a scenario that would, I think, give life to Michigan State is, let's say, Penn, you know, Michigan State receives the opening kickoff. Go down the field seven points. Okay. All right, Michigan, you got to answer now. Michigan comes out, fluky turnover, right? Maybe it's a bad snap. Maybe it's a, a tip pass off someone's hands. Ball goes to Michigan State. You're down 14-0. At that point, Michigan State starts to have some belief. The crowd in Ann Arbor maybe starts to turn the volume down just a little bit. And then you're having to play catch up for a young quarterback that's in a new situation and running the football. You still do it, you know, as much as you want to, really. But you start to think a little bit more like, hey, do we got to put the ball in the air here? I mean, how many do we have to score to win this game? That's a scenario where momentum could breathe some life into Michigan State. Because the reality is Michigan owns every edge in this game. And that's not a knock on Michigan State. Michigan has just got some dogs. I mean, they just, quite frankly, they do. There's not a scenario or not, not a, a matchup you look at if you're Michigan to say, I don't know. I don't know if we like that one. You own every matchup. Can you capitalize on those, especially early? That will be crucial for the belief and momentum that you don't allow Michigan State to have, because that's what has to happen in, in upsets, right? Opposing team, dog gets a little bit of fight, gets a little bit of growl. Things get weird. The other question I have is, does J.J. McCarthy get more access to the overall attack for Michigan's offense? Think about it this way. When you were preparing to get your license and you're driving the car, you probably drove in parking lots, right? I mean, you probably just sort of cruised along, make a left turn here, make a right turn there, and you have some adult sitting shotgun with you, right? And they're hands on the wheel. So if you did something crazy as a new driver, they could tug that thing right back into focus and, hey, we're good. For J.J. McCarthy, Cade McNamara is to my understanding, expected to be available for this game. So there's a little bit more of a safety net. And Michigan State, I don't know if they scare you that much. So I'm saying, what happens if Jim Harbaugh takes his hand off the wheel? Says, JJ, you got your license. You started a few games now. You drive. Take over. You do what you want to do. Not saying he's going to call plays, but just they open it up more for him, allow him to push the ball downfield more. They put the ball in the air more. What happens? There's obviously two scenarios, but I'm fascinated by both of them. The first of which is J.J. McCarthy soars. 
gets more things on his plate. He eats good. The offense scores a lot of points because of J.J. McCarthy, not just the run game. I think for Michigan, you'd love to win that way because of the confidence it gives you in your quarterback and your offensive attack. Think about how, many, how much more multiple you can be if you're Michigan and get that done. Because then you're not just a running team. I mean, you can run the ball, but guess what? You can hit the ball deep as well. Some good things happening for Michigan if that's the story for J.J. McCarthy. Because we haven't seen that yet. It's been a little bit more of a run the ball, let J.J. get comfortable, let him develop, which is a luxury. But there's going to be a point in time where the hand goes off the wheel. Is it this game? I think it's a perfect opportunity. Because Michigan State secondary, not awesome. Allowing around 270 yards a game. So does the hand stay on the wheel or come off the wheel? The other scenario, if the hand's off the wheel, is J.J. sort of yanks that steering wheel around and it, it could get kind of uncomfortable. What would that look like? Gosh, I don't know, two interceptions and a fumble? I'm just saying we haven't seen it yet from him. We don't know for a fact that that growth and that awkward phase isn't still there somewhere. It could happen in a game like this. Rivalry game, nerves are high, juice is high, a lot of intensity. This could be that scenario where if you're J.J. McCarthy, you have that uncomfortable, awkward phase growing experience. There's, there's two scenarios there, right? We'll see what happens, but that could be fascinating because if that latter happens, then the game's interesting in the third and fourth quarter. Needless to say, a 3 turnover for Michigan team, things get interesting. At the end of the day, I think Michigan's run game is the difference. And that's not novel analysis. They're one of the best running teams in the entire country. Blake Corum should be in the Heisman conversation. Donovan Edwards, absolute freak show right next to him in the backfield. If they can run the football, all bets are off for Michigan State. I mean, that, that's just the way this thing goes. Blake Corum averaging six yards a carry. They're averaging 241 yards on the ground. And even if things don't go super smoothly for J.J. McCarthy, if they give him more leash and he doesn't necessarily soar with it, let's say he does average one touchdown, one pick. Okay, well, guess what? we can still play bully ball. That kid on the playground, that's bigger than you, that has a mustache in the sixth grade, already has body odor. You can, he can still body up and get whatever he wants to on the playground. And make no mistake, that is the attitude that Michigan would love to take in this game as well. Be able to take back what they feel is theirs, avenge the loss from last year, and get a big win over Sparty. That would be what I think they'd like to do. At the end of the day, that's what we think they do. We like Michigan to win this game in convincing fashion. J.J. McCarthy, I think he actually does get more on his plate, does do well. The offense does well. 45 points, what we think they score. Final score, Michigan, 45-10 to 10 over the rival. Paul Bunyan heads back to Ann Arbor. And Michigan, like we talked about with Ohio State, continue their collision course towards that big game. They still probably have to play a ranked Illinois team. I say probably as in, I would assume Illinois is ranked at the end of the year when they do play them, but a lot of ifs, a lot of what ifs. I'm excited to watch that game, though. I'm excited to see the development of J.J. McCarthy. He's going to be a dog. And if he taps into that next level, you're going to have to deal with Michigan, even more than you already do right now. So with that being said, the best thing that we do in this entire operation, this entire show, we're kicking down the door, cutting the red tape, whatever you want to call it. It was never closed. There was never tape to begin with, but we're kicking that down even more, bringing in the live chat, 
the man, the myth, the legend, the people's champ, heavy lifter. You know him, you love him. Nick Brake joining the program. Nick, how we doing, my guy? JD, I'm doing good, man. Um, got so many questions. So many people joining today. Let's go. Um, I love it, man. Whether it's on their lunch break, a day off, or they're just uh, sneaking us on during work. Um, we're glad you're here. Uh, we've got a lot, like I said, so we're going to start way up to the top of the uh, broadcast. We had Fergie Ferg join us, as he usually, as they usually do. Mm -hmm. um, asked, he said, Sir Nick, uh, do you think Penn State could bring a surprising upset if the game stays close? Obviously, you address that again, but... Uh, don't want to leave him hanging. So, JD, uh, what do you think? You said he he said Sir Nick. Was that was that the beginning? I want to. I mean, so he's asking for your opinion. I want to hear your take on this too, and I'll give my two cents after. But I mean, I think the question is yours. Well, um, it's something you brought up, and it's something that we had a comment from Michael Stamper about earlier on. Look, this game is not a whiteout. It's not in prime time. That's advantage Ohio State. Uh, whether obviously it wasn't intended to be, but uh, if look. In a situation where this game is played under the lights, this is the big primetime game. Penn State's got that edge, I think, about them, but this isn't that. It's, what, a big noon kickoff game? Yeah, so, something like that. I, I would imagine so, yeah. yeah. Just not. It's not going to be the same. Um, Ohio State wins this game. For no, you, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Fergie, Fergie, appreciate you asking that question. appreciate you addressing Nick in that question, too. Uh, <laughs> but, no, I, I think what Nick said is on the money. If it's a wideout Maybe there's some magic in the air, and maybe Penn State and good Sean Clifford. Forget good Sean Clifford. Maybe you get great Sean Clifford in whiteout conditions. In a game like this where Ohio State has so much motivation behind them, they already saw what Michigan did to you. I think there's a lot of confidence, but I think at the same time, there is that, that external factor that's going to motivate Ohio State even more. And we talked about the run game. That'll be a big factor. But even so, I mean, the guys on the outside for Ohio State, to have that as a counterpunch to what Travion Henderson's going to do, I think advantages Ohio State all the way. So excited to watch. It's college football. Anything can happen. But mm -hmm. Nick and I are both taking the Buckeyes in that one. Great question, though, Fergie Ferg. Appreciate yeah, you joining the show. Absolutely. A regular. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so Gavin Matthews says, if Georgia in the Florida game and the Ohio-Penn State game are close games, say within one score each, is verbatim mm -hmm. and ut beats kentucky by two or three scores do you think there is a top three switch up and i'm assuming he's rooting for the vols here so once again if georgia and ohio state let's say they win but it's close mm -hmm. and then kentucky wins heavily or excuse me florida wins heavily and kentucky to tennessee to the volunteers pearson in the top three you know i think the, the one move that i'd be comfortable making is moving tennessee ahead of georgia now, that's a very big if. I think we have to look at what those programs do on Saturday because if it's one score and maybe Florida gets a touchdown in garbage time or maybe you know Georgia was up in the third quarter, 31-14, like the, the flow of these games is important to me from an eye test perspective. And the great thing we have in this game, actually, is we have a common opponent with Tennessee having already played Florida. So I think we could see Georgia passing, or excuse me, Tennessee passing Georgia, but for Ohio State, I mean, Penn State, even though they took that L to Michigan in just ugly fashion, Still a top 15 team. If you beat a top 15 team, Tennessee's beat a lot of top 25 teams. But, I mean, that that doesn't – I would have a, hard, have a hard time knocking them down for beating a good Penn State team. So that's where I fall in the matter. But ultimately, yeah, I, I think there could be some switch up in the top three. But Ohio State, if they get a win, I don't move them down from number one in our rankings at least, yeah. Nick. Yeah, it's a good, a good opponent too. And uh, some people in here are really starting to ask the hypotheticals about Ohio State. We have another one, um, and this includes Michigan, too. It's from Drewski. 
says, how does the playoff picture shake up if Ohio State and or Michigan lose? If Ohio State know. and or Michigan lose, how does yeah. the playoff picture shake up? And is that just I'm, I'm imagining he's saying just this weekend is, is my thought, because because if yeah. one of them loses, I mean, obviously one will have to lose when they play at the end of the year. So you would imagine that one loss, whether it's Ohio State or Michigan, again, that's hypothetical. It's not for sure. A one-loss Michigan or Ohio State probably gets the nod over a one-loss Pac-12 champ or, dare I say it, a one-loss ACC champ if that ends up being the case. But if they lose this week, I mean, it causes it causes anarchy, right? I mean, because if Ohio State takes a loss, then you start talking about, okay, well, then you have a one-loss Big Ten champ, and maybe that gets left out if there is, you know, two SEC teams. And, you know, so I, also you would also have – in theory, let's say, Ohio, we're getting really into hypotheticals here, Nick, so I love it. Michigan, Ohio State, both lose this weekend. When they meet up in the you know game of all games at the end of this year, and let's say one of those programs, uh, I'm trying to think of how this would go. One of those programs wins. They'll, they'll still be a one-loss Big Ten champ in theory. So it shakes up the rankings, smaller margin for error. But I would tell you what, the college football playoff rankings, when they come out November 1st, I think you would see – those teams probably looking more towards like the, the bottom half of the top four, if not the first two out. So it makes things interesting nonetheless, but I, I, that's a good question. I like the hypotheticals, Nick. That's yeah. a, that's a good one. The big 10 is going to be interesting. It's mm-hmm. going to be very interesting, especially at the end of the year. Well, um, I think people are kind of thinking you're Marty McFly today. Cause a lot of questions coming hypothetically coming in the future here. I love it. I um, love it. Montana Harris has a question that the Tennessee fans are going to want to listen to. If TCU wins out, and Tennessee has a loss to Georgia, which means they miss the SEC championship and mm-hmm. lose to Georgia. Uh, do you take Tennessee or do you take uh, TCU in the playoffs? So uh, by hearing that, I'm thinking, okay, TCU's undefeated. Yes. Is that accurate, Nick? And I guess the champion of the Big 12. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just say this. If TCU runs the table, they're undefeated. They're a Power 5 conference champion. You're not getting left out. Like, that's the bottom line. So can Tennessee still find a way in? you got to look somewhere outside of that slot the Big 12 has taken up. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not out of the question. I think that, you know, there's a lot of things that happen then with Alabama and Georgia. But for Tennessee, a win against Georgia does so much for your college football playoff hopes because we saw a year ago, if you're undefeated and take that one loss in the SEC championship, you're not necessarily controlling your own destiny, but you feel pretty good about finding your way into that top four. So third place, you're feeling iffy. But TCU, if they went out, they're going to be in the dance, and I don't think there's any way around that. But I like the question. I like that they're thinking I can tell the future here, Nick. I studied uh, hotel administration, not journalism, but I did minor in seeing the future. So this is all great, and it's kind of paying off right now. It's a solid minor, JD. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know they offered that uh, at Cornell. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Um, Hey, another – by the way, another tip. A lot of tips today. I like it. Thank you. Uh, X Nicholas, uh, that's not my burner. He says, who has a better receiving core, Tennessee or Ohio State? Says, I think it's closer than people think. J.D., what do you what do you say? Not your burner is what it's we're hearing. It's not my burner. Okay. I do not have one. Okay. All right. I'll believe it. Better receiving core. A couple ways to look at it. I think you're going to have more guys that do some, some damage in the NFL from Ohio State, and they've kind of already laid that blueprint. I mean, they just are kind of – a factory at this point. Josh Heupel is in year two. Let me stress that again. He is in year two at Tennessee. So Tennessee down the road, I think you could look at them being comparable in terms of guys they put into the league and especially, I mean, stuff in the stat sheets. 
Uh, we didn't even mention it in our, in our preview, which is, you know, shame on me, but Cedric Tillman is eyeing a return for this game. Josh Heupel hasn't confirmed anything, but from what we're hearing, they are expecting this to be the game that he tries to get back for. So we'll keep an eye on that. I'm sure we'll talk about it on the channel going forward, but they're expecting this to be the game that he gets back for. But to answer your question, Ohio State's just further along. There's more sample size. Tennessee, as of this year, I think you can make the argument they have more guys because of Jack Smith and Jigba not really playing. Interesting, both those guys, Alpha Dogs wide receiver, haven't been active with Jack Smith and Jigba and Cedric Tillman. Uh, but, I mean, you can't say enough good things about Jalen Hyatt and Brew McCoy and the way they've bought out this year. So I think it's very, very close to answer that question. I don't know that you can have a definitive number one, but we'll say for a sample size, Ohio State, from an NFL pedigree standpoint, probably better. But you're going to have to deal with Tennessee receivers a lot the rest of the time that Josh Heupel's in Knoxville, which I think will be for a very long time. Spoiler alert. Uh, folks, if you haven't yet, sub to the channel. Got about 300 of you watching. If we could just have you hit that sub button for us, it's totally free. It helps us. It helps you. It does a lot for us. But no, we love getting to y'all's questions. Nick, what else we got, big dog? Well, by the way, you made another case to the, that you can see in the future because as Zachary Whitfield asked, hey, do you think uh, Tillman plays this weekend? You addressed it already. So Zachary, I think so. I think, I mean, um, hey, I don't have, a, I don't have like any inside information there about him being confirmed to play, but this was the game they are hoping and praying and planning on him getting back for. All right, so I think he plays. Don't quote me on that, but I think he plays, Nick. I think you're a force wielder. Him a force wielder? <laughs> yes, uh, Luke Skywalker in here. Okay, oh, so okay. I didn't see. I like Star Wars. I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, I'm going to get killed for referencing uh, Star Wars. <laughs> but um, another question. Michael Stamper's back. Could TCU jump Clemson if both are unbeaten? I love that question, too. A Ooh. lot of TCU questions today. So here's the thing we're not ready to talk about. Let's say Clemson goes undefeated. TCU goes undefeated. Guess who gets left out? Probably a, a one-loss conference champion elsewhere and probably a team that was planning on getting in being that one-loss you know, team that was on the outside looking in. Like, look at the SEC. If you have two unbeatens, you probably take the, un, you know, the, the Big Ten champion, right? So probably, you know, let's say Ohio State, Michigan there, TCU, Clemson. That fourth spot probably goes to the SEC champ. And so if you're a Georgia, Alabama, or, or Tennessee – well, Alabama, I guess, in theory, would have to win out to get there. So if you're Georgia or Tennessee and you lose the conference championship, but that's your one loss, you're probably on the outside looking in. It's unfortunate to say, but that's probably the way that goes. So this is why we love college football, man. Every single Saturday, the regular season impacts what happens in the postseason, right? And that, that sounds sort of simplistic, but what I'm saying is you don't get that many mulligans. In this situation, you don't get any. And we love you for that college football. So, no, great question, but I think that's the way it shakes out. Undefeated Power 5 champion, in my humble opinion. You can't shut the door on them, Nick. You just can't. You can't. Um, question coming from another Tennessee fan. Oh, actually, never it. mind. It's my fake burner again. It's X Nicholas. Um, I love it. Oh, excuse me. No, and he didn't ask a question. He said a good comment, though. He said, I think it's fair as a Tennessee fan to have more. In a okay, so he was agreeing with you. So okay. that's good. I love it. Um, so X Nicholas is really getting involved today. So this Appreciate is the it, question Nicholas. that I found. I like this question because it's another uh, it's another question that's not about Tennessee or some team that we talk about a lot. Let's roll. Is, um, coming saying, can I, or excuse me, can the Gamecocks go 8-4 and four this season? Uh, what are your thoughts and your opinions on them? Can Spencer find his crew? Yeah, I mean, looking at what they did this past Saturday, it's hard to say no, right? Like, I will say this. Whatever happens this year for South Carolina, 
eight and four for sure manageable for sure realistic right I mean I know they still have some important games left on the schedule but with what Shane Beamer is building there if I'm a South Carolina Gamecock fan what I'm excited about is 2023 2024 2025 because you know kids are going to want to play for him you know recruiting is about to kick up a whole notch down there in Columbia South Carolina Shane Beamer's building a, a program, not just a good team this year. They've found ways to win this year, and quite frankly, I don't know they've had the, the firepower or the personnel to be as good as they have. They've taken it one game at a time. They didn't panic when they started out one and two. They've reset themselves. Spencer Rattler has been really serviceable. Marshawn Lloyd's been a dog. Like There is so much to like about the team this year, but I'm saying the future of this program, Nick, I'm fresh out of eligibility. But if I had a chance to go play at South Carolina and I'm a high schooler, dude, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm serious. I would go play for Shane Beamer yesterday. That's how much I like that program, the direction they're headed. So eight and four is doable this year. I think it's a lot more doable in years to come. I think it's probably a place they could live, quite frankly, around eight-ish wins. So I love it. Beamer ball, baby. JD, I got kind of turned around before the last question I asked. It's because I saw a really good one, but because so many people are in here commenting and asking questions, which is awesome. Love but it. I, I lost it, but I'm going to have to go on memory. I love um, it. Yeah. One of our Tennessee fans was asking, uh, what do you think about Heupel? Do you think he potentially, should they be worried that he leaves to go to a bigger program? It's um, a really good question. JD, what do you think? Yeah, one, that's that's a dark way to look at things. I mean, your team's in in the in the, you know, Hot zone right now. You got Kentucky, you got Georgia next week. I hope he, I mean, I hope we're not thinking about Hypo leaving right now for a Tennessee fan, but here's what I would say. If you're Tennessee, you are, in a lot of ways, can consider yourself a blue blood program. Now, folks that are, you know, under the age of 28 don't necessarily have those memories about Tennessee. But Tennessee, people forget, they are a national power. And so with Josh Heupel, the way they can win at Tennessee, I'm saying if I'm Josh Heupel, I don't know that I need to go anywhere else. Like the only reason I would leave from Josh Heupel is to, to have a chance to play for a national title. You can do that at Tennessee. We're talking about it this year. And so I guess the argument that could be made or that you would make if you're playing devil's advocate here is, let's say things don't work out with Brent Venables at Oklahoma. You want to go back to your alma mater. That's a tough sell. That's the only situation in a few years down the road that I could see that happening. But for Josh Heupel, everything that you want to do as a head coach, as a recruiter, every single box that you want to check, you can do it at Tennessee. And so for him, I think it would be a mistake to leave Tennessee anytime soon. And I don't anticipate that happening in the at all distant future. So I'm excited to watch how that program progresses because Nick, seven and a half wins was the number yeah. in Vegas before the year started. We're having conversations right now about them being a college football playoff team. Do people understand how special that is, how special of a guy they got there at head coach? Also got some recruits mm -hmm. in the boat that are going to be uh, some ballers for them down the road. So I'm excited to watch how that program continues to flourish. It's only year two. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, and so I've Rusty Crane kind of followed up. He asked the question, said uh, specifically talking about Oklahoma, which is Heupel's alma mater, but J.D., I don't. I don't think anything changes there, do you? I don't think so. I mean, it, it's fair. That that would be like the one concern you could have. But, I mean, let's take this down the Oklahoma road for like a half second. Brent Venables, what he's doing right now is not what they're going to look like in 2024. Exactly. Like, he's going to get time. I think they're actually going to be 
pretty good down the road. I don't think Oklahoma is looking for a coach anytime soon, to be honest with you. So for Heupel, I think he's set in Knoxville. I think the people in Knoxville, if he even thought about leaving, like if he even went to sleep at night and had a vivid dream about leaving, they would throw him a bag, and rightly so. So that's where I stand on the matter, though, Nick. Okay. Uh, JD, uh, what do you say? A couple more questions? Let's do, let's, let's do two more. What do you two think? More. Two more? Hey, I think that's great. Um, Everybody's hanging in. Uh, yeah. Keep asking more questions. Quick shout out to the live chat, too. Oh, this yeah. is exceptional. Y'all have brought your A game. This is unbelievable. This is the community we're talking about. So mm -hmm. if you haven't yet subscribed, join the party. But we love every one of you watching. So thank you in advance for that. But no, Nick, sorry, let's do it. Let's knock out two more, big dog. Okay. Yeah, like you said, the people show, right? I mean, um, the, the people show and the people on the show. Like, I mean, I, mean, I say on the show as in the people that are joining the show right now in the live chat. That is uh, phenomenal. We're, we're excited to have you all aboard. This is a blast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. Uh, so we got a good question. This is as broad a question as it gets, but I don't think it's a bad one at all. Uh, we want to. They want to know. Matthew Steele says, "Okay, so who wins this season, dude? Are the balls gonna win it all?" Uh <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Coming with just the the haymaker. Yeah. Who wins the whole deal? I will say this. I think whoever comes out of the SEC, whoever wins the SEC title, whether it's Georgia, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's Alabama. They are in the driver's seat to win the whole deal. So if I'm Tennessee, I'm looking just at that next game, Kentucky. Pass that test, Georgia's kind of like that boss level, right? You already beat Alabama, which is one of the boss levels. You beat Georgia, you're sitting there saying there's nothing we can't do. And you're probably in good position, barring some other things happening, to make the college football playoff, regardless of the SEC title. But if you're Tennessee, if the question is, can Tennessee win the whole deal? Absolutely. And that's not just something we're saying here for likes and clicks or whatever. Like that is 100% our true opinion. Tennessee has all of the assets to make a play at the whole deal. But got to win this week against Kentucky. I think it goes without saying. Got to win this week if you're Tennessee. So, I mean, I would think the SEC is a good place to start if you're looking for a champion of the whole season. But good question. I like it. Getting get to the, the, the nitty gritty of it. I love it. What do you say, Nick? One more, and we'll wrap this thing up. One more. Let's man. do it, baby. So many uh, great questions, but I'm going to ask this one because I really like this question. Um, Michael Stamper, I've said his name a couple times today. I've asked some good ones. Why is Blake Corum not talked about more in the Heisman conversation? It's not a two horse race in his idea. It's fair. Yeah. Michael Stamper, irregular, we salute you. It's a very fair question. I would say this one, the stages that Michigan has had. Penn State's probably like the biggest stage you're looking at, and he knocked it out of the park. I think if you're Blake Corm, you want to win the Heisman Trophy, look at that Ohio State game. Play well the rest of the year. Be consistent. Be right around 100, 150 yards, a couple of touchdowns a game, which is like saying a lot, but hey, it's the Heisman Trophy we're giving out here, so that's like fair to have those kind of expectations. Get to the Ohio State game, pop off in that game. Aiden Hutchinson played really well, but then that Ohio State game really put him on the map, got him to New York. That's the stage I have circled, starred, highlighted, all that of fun Blake Corum trying to win the Heisman Trophy. The second piece of that, let's just be honest, it's a quarterback award. Like Devontae Smith, the last guy in my recollection to win it that wasn't a quarterback, even that was during a COVID season. So you kind of have some other thoughts about how that could have gone, but it's a quarterback award. And so for Blake Corum, he deserves to be mentioned. He's definitely going to be in our, you know, power five rankings, if you will, when it comes to the Heisman Trophy. So he deserves more recognition. I think if he just continues to be consistently productive and set it up for that Ohio State game, if he pops against Ohio State, I promise you he'll be in New York. Promise you. Especially if Michigan wins. I mean, good yep. night. Good night. 
Uh, does it, Big Nick? It does it. Everyone now is asking, you know, the question we get at the end of every show. JD, do you have a certain team you go for? I love uh, it, man. Do, I, do we, we I grab think it you again? I remind them one more time. How about the Cornell Big Red, huh? Big win this past week. Go on the road to Providence, Rhode Island. Get a win against the Brown Bears. I'm telling you, David Archer got the boys playing. Cornell is the, is the team for us. I'll put them right here. They'll sit shotgun as we wrap this thing up. <laughs> Folks, thank you so much for Nick, for myself, for joining this program, for jumping in here with the live chat, for being a part of this community, because that's what this is. I mean, we're not the NFL. We're not Major League Baseball. We're not NBA. This is college football. And you and I both understand what makes this thing special is the people that are the fabric of this sport, the fans. The reason you get up at 9 a.m. to tailgate for a 5 o'clock game, that's why we love this sport. Because you're alma mater, because your dad went there, your mom went there, whatever it is. The passion, the pageantry, the ties to this sport, that's what makes it different. That's what makes it special. And so appreciate y'all bringing all of that to this program, the live chat, subscribing, comments, all that. Thank you so much. You can catch us live again Thursday. We're going to be back here on the channel. Get notifications. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jody Pakel to stay up with every single thing we're doing. Until then, we're going to keep the party rolling, and we will see y'all next time. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.